0: Welcome back to the Tapes Archive Podcast, where we release interviews that have never been heard before. In this episode, we have Primus' frontman and bassist, Les Claypool. At the time of this interview in 1994, Claypool was 31 years old and was promoting his band's fourth album, Pork Soda. In the interview, Les talks about what made him want to play the bass, headlining Lollapalooza, the parallels of Rush and Primus, and his record label, he Prawn something. Song.
1: And he ends up at this fish show, and he just he becomes mesmerized with the, the bass player, Mike Gordon.
0: As always, we have music critic Mark Allen at the helm conducting the interview. If you'd like to support the show, please like, follow, and subscribe to us on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, and Instagram. There, we post other content and information not available on the podcast. If you'd like to read the transcripts for any of our episodes, please head over to our website at thetapesarchive.com. We'll jump into the interview after a quick word from our sponsors. The Tapes Archive is proud to be sponsored by the true crime documentary, Dead Man's Line. You've
2: got a hundred armed officers around here trying to get a shot at me. I dared him to shoot me. I didn't go down there
1: to be a buffoon. I went down there for vengeance. And God got I have vengeance. In
0: 1977, Tony Karitsis kidnapped a mortgage broker and held him captive for three days. For the first time ever, the media was able to cover the event live. To some, Tony was a hero. To others, he was a crazed thug. Dead Man's Line, the true story of Tony Karitsis. This award-winning film is available exclusively on Amazon Prime. One last thing before we get to the interview, the Tapes Archive podcast is a proud member of Osiris Media, a global community connecting passionate fans with podcasts and experiences about artists and topics you love. Thanks for tuning in, and now it's time to open the vault. How
2: you doing? Not pretty good. Good. Let me just start by asking you
1: uh, Rush. Is this a good match, uh, Primus and Rush? Uh, It worked uh, last year. So you found their fans pretty accepting? Uh, I found them more accepting than I had uh, thought they would be. It actually went over very well as far as uh, our relationship with Rush. You know, we were huge fans as youngsters. Well, I mean, we still are. But um, to meet the guys was really cool. To be accepted by the Rush crowd, that was uh, very pleasant because, uh, you know, being one of the people that, that used to go see those guys uh, faithfully every year and stand in line to get tickets, I, I knew how scrutinizing a Rush audience could be. There have been many shows that I've been to and when I was in high school that uh, Rush concerts were the opening act, wasn't very well received. <laughs> you know, do, you, do you recall who you saw? Um, well, I, I don't want to... Okay, you don't want <laughs> to <wanna> trash anybody. I don't want to trash anybody, but... Um, Yeah, there were definite times when uh, people definitely would have preferred just seeing Rush. Do you think that Primus fans
2: find it bizarre that that this is the band that that you guys like? Um, I wouldn't think so. No?
1: I thought it it was odd, but anyway. What made you want to be a bass player? Well, at the time, everybody wanted to be a guitar player, so (laughs) I figured it'd be easier to get a gig and uh, it only had four strings, so I figured it would be easier to learn. Plus, I I'd always thought guitar sounded wimpy. The bass has got that, that feel to it, that vibration that gets, that gets the sperm count going, you know? <laughs> so. I, I wondered about that. I played bass when I was in high school,
2: and I, I sucked at it, but, but basically, I ended up playing bass because it was kinda of like being the last kid picked to play on the sports team. Everybody else played guitar or something
1: else. Well, we need a bass player, you be the bass player. Well, it's like like Getty said, he started playing bass because uh, he was a guitar player and they, uh, I guess he wasn't as good as the other guitar players, so they made him play bass. And, you know, it was guys like, uh, in, in the early days, it was guys like Geddy Lee and Chris Squire that you know really got me going. So
2: me too, I always wanted to be able to play, and this is how bad I was I was not able I wanted to play the
1: uh, walking bass line, and yours is no disgrace and yeah, just spent a while doing that and Well, all that stuff I mean it. roundabout that was like that was like the hardest bass line at, at the time that I can remember as far as rock Yeah, you know, and then I got into stuff like. Larry Graham, Lewis Johnson, Stan Lee all these guys. That Uh, pretty much changed my whole
2: life. Did you study the instrument much? Did you take a lot of lessons? Because when I listen to you play, it seems to me like you're so inventive. I thought maybe you didn't take any kind of lessons or just have any formal training and therefore never felt bound by any
1: do's and don'ts of the instrument. Um, No, I I never took any lessons. I I basically bought a bass and was in a band instantly, and I, I couldn't play anything. Uh, I could play "Smoke on the Water" in the wrong key, <laughs> um, but uh, oh man, you know, legendary like the bass players were in just such big demand that you know the guy in the band. Would, yeah, I bought a Mel Bay book, and um, the guy in the band taught me how to play his songs because all they were were original tunes. So I could play like this guy's songs, and that was it. You know, people <laughs> say, "Hey, can you play?" A, 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 you know, a, some Hendrix tune or something. I'd be all, the. <laughs> You know, I just listened and watched a lot of people. Uh, that's how I, how I learned. Is that in fact correct that you just didn't feel constrained by anything in particular? I mean, you just you just played what you felt. Uh, you know, I've always been one to want to do things differently. Uh, it's just the way I've always been. I, I immediately just tried doing things that nobody else was doing. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I mean, even from the beginning, even the way I approached first approached my base can you talk about your technique i mean what do you do that that makes it sound so different from other people um I, I, there are many things that i that i do that are are, are not traditional but that you know there are a lot of players these days that are starting to come out that are influenced by the same people i was influenced by or that are doing similar things necessity is the you know is the mother of invention you know being in a band like primus where there's only three guys and and um you know i've always worked with very textural guitarists i've never really with primus worked with guys that are very aggressive rhythmically so i always felt i had to hold down a couple of parts you know like a rhythm guitar part and a bass part so that's where all the strumming and, and tapping and stuff came in but you know, as far as like thumping and plucking that's you know that's all old school you know larry Graham, lewis johnson
2: type stuff so it just might not be familiar to a rock audience but it's it's a uh, funk
1: or, or uh, funk players will know what exactly what you're doing then uh in some areas you know the, the thing is is i've never really limited myself to <laughs> one particular player or even the bass and when i go see a band the, generally the first thing i'm attracted to is is the drummer i play drums as well and I know I approach my instrument very percussively, and it's probably because I, I very much listen to drummers. A good drummer, the way they will phrase something to me is, is very exciting. But I tend to approach my bass more in, in, in that way. I, you know, I don't know, there's nothing I can really put my finger on. I just a lot of years under, under my belt and, and, and a lot of different music. You know, I've never, you know, as a, as a young guy, I, I, I was a rock and roll guy, you know, but as soon as my horizons expanded, my playing got better and more well-rounded and the more I kept my horizons open, you know, the more well-rounded I got. I think if if you approach an instrument or music with tunnel vision or just with a few different influences, people are going to be able to pin you down and say, hey, you sound like this or you sound like that.
2: And, and definitely nobody can do that to prime us. Although it's interesting to me, like I was listening to the latest disc and just going, man this is like I don't know what this is this is just so different from anything I've heard then I'm looking at your bio and it started talking about some other people and I thought King Crimson yeah this this is probably more like King Crimson than I realized at the time and then it started to make some sense for me did you listen to much King Crimson?
1: I, yeah, we, the three of us have. There are definite common grounds for the three of us, but there are a lot of things that we all listen to that the others don't listen to. You know, We're all very well-rounded as far as our uh, listening tastes, and uh, we're also very diverse amongst each other. You know, There are a lot of things Herb will listen to that Larry and I wouldn't necessarily listen to. You, know, you get in the Larry's car, you're, you're going to listen to either Frank Zappa or The Grateful Dead, generally what he has in his tape player. So, I mean, there are, you know, there are times when we'll be cruising along and something will sound like Floyd or you know it, it'll sound like Sly Stone. It's not that we're sitting down and deliberately going, okay, we have to be the, uh, the, you know, the guys that sound different. The more we get into this and the more comfortable we're, we're becoming in the studio, the more spontaneous it's becoming. And, and that to me is when, when we're starting to see the true reflections of, of what we have accumulated through the years, whatever pops off. Um, as opposed to putting a, a lot of thought into it.
2: On Pork Soda, the credits only list five instruments total. Is is that really all there is? Should be like some banjo and mandolin. Let's see. Okay, drums, guitar, banjo, bass, and mandolin. Yeah, that's that's it. Now on uh, Now on Wounded Knee, it sounds like vibes. What is that? Uh, actually, Herb plays. Boy, oh, that's, that's a real unusual sound. Then, you know, there are parts where I, I think I hear different kinds of instruments. I mean, there are a couple of songs where I thought I heard violin or, or you know some modification of a violin. And I, I well, it's uh, um, it's my it's my upright bass. You know, bowing it. That's really incredible. I mean, you can get a lot of different sounds uh, out of the instruments. I didn't realize uh, that
1: that they could vary as much as they do. Well, um, I have different bases, you know, I have two different six strings, one fretted, one's fretless, I have, you know, I have my main four string, but I have a few different four strings that I use, and then my upright basses, you can get pretty, uh, quite an array of sounds, especially when you start, start playing arco, you know, using, using a bow, and yeah, Larry's always pulling tricks out of his hat, too, you know, he's Mr., Mr., um, Feck's stomp box collector, you know, he's got all these crazy old vintage stomp boxes, and, yeah, uh, he's He's always hooking different things together to get different sounds, and then of course Herb has the, the massive, huge behemoth drum kit. So I mean, in a, in a in a sense, there are many parallels that that can be drawn between us and Rush. And in in a, in a, in a lot of people's mind, it's a sensible pairing. There are obvious differences as well. It, it seems to work really well together. Plus, you know, those guys are just fun guys to be with.
2: No, <laughs> well, I don't know. I mean, maybe they are. They just,
1: you know, they. I like
2: Rush, and they never. I mean, they they always seem to be thinking, but they seem to be very intense and not very playful. And and I think of Primus is a pretty playful group, so that's why
1: I thought the the pairing was odd. But. Well, I mean, I, I you know, there's there's the public eye, and then there's the everyday life. Uh, <laughs> right. Yeah. The, view. They're, they're real um, human beings as well right, as and the guys in, who make that. They're, you know, they're good guys. You know, Alex is the, the guy the guys in that. Um, <laughs> we've just never chosen to be overly serious. You know, I, I tend to make fun of people who are, who take themselves a bit too seriously. Uh, they definitely have a sense of humor. I mean, any guys who would have 40-foot inflatable rabbits come popping up on their stage and having them dance to, to Tom Sawyer, that's, <laughs> that's pretty good. Uh, last time we
2: saw you here, or maybe the only time, was Lollapalooza. How was that? Was that a, a good
1: uh, experience for the band? Uh, yeah, Lollapalooza was a blast. I told uh, I told Billy from Smashing Pumpkins when they were talking about doing you know this upcoming Lollapalooza. I, I told them to to do it at all costs because it was an amazingly fun thing to do. Touring has its ups and downs, and it can be pretty boring out there at times. But there was never a dull moment on Lollapalooza. That's for sure. I mean, you, you're you're traveling around with a couple hundred people. And uh, you're you're going. You know, we basically went to Lollapalooza every day, so <laughs> we were, it was like being part of a circus or something. It was pretty amazing. Yeah, was that a good spot in the lineup to be the band that closed the show? It, it worked well for us. I mean, we had all this crazy projection and, and such, so uh, uh, it would, wouldn't have worked too well during the day. Yeah, Here, hang on one sec. Sure. Anyway, I just uh, have a few
2: other things, I'll let you go. I, I asked about that spot in the lineup because I, I don't know what it was like for the performers, but by the time you came on at about, I guess, 9.30, 10 o'clock, uh, I know sitting out in the audience that I basically hated all of humanity. The last thing I wanted to see was anybody on stage. I just wanted the day to be over, and I had no idea you know, what it was like for the performers. It was a long and kind of exhausting day for people, so that's why I was curious about that.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, when we entered into this thing, we, we figured that was going to be the case and that there was going to be a large portion of people that were going to leave. What we wanted to do was do this production and felt that the, the diehards were going to hang around and the people that uh, didn't want to were going to leave. So, uh, You know, we weren't so much into, into Lollapalooza for the exposure as much as we were in for the experience and we wanted to do our, our show. We, we weren't even planning on doing Lollapalooza. We were going to go out and do our own tour with this production. And the Lollapalooza people were persistent and offered us this
2: slot, so away we went. Two songs on Pork Soda I want to ask you about. One of them is The Pressman.
1: You tell me about that? What what inspired you to write that? That's actually a pretty old song, lyrically. To me, it was a... Uh, I just had this image of this fellow who lives this, uh, this fairly obscure life, but just has this, uh, uh, this realization of the power of the pen, so to speak. It's not meant to be uh, you know, derogatory in any way. Some people have thought it was. <laughs> but uh, uh, it was just more of an interesting visual I had in my head, and I wanted to express it. That song hits me in different ways when I
2: listen to it. Sometimes I think, yeah, he's he's definitely trash and people and uh, the news people,
1: and then sometimes I think, well, no, this is kind of flattering. So, uh, nah, I it's just, not it's not meant to be either tra- way trashy or you know I'm not I'm not meaning you know be malicious or, or anything at all. If, if anything, I, I just have the visualization of this character, you know, very almost a you know a Meet John Doe type thing. So, hence the smoky air and the you know egg sandwiches menthol cigarettes. It's more of a, to me, there's, there's there's sort of a romanticism to that visual that may or may not even exist anymore. To me, it has more of a uh, of an old Hollywood vibe to it, or I keep wanting to use the word visual, just because that's what pops in my head when I, when I think of, of those lyrics. Like the front page or, or something like that? Yeah, or... You know, his girl Friday. His girl or, Friday, yeah. Or, or meet, meet John Doe. And then DMV, which is such a. <laughs> that is definitely derogatory. Yeah. <laughs> There's no if ands. I was, I would have even gotten worse. <laughs> uh, was that a particular? Was that inspired by a particularly bad trip to the DMV? Oh, is there ever a good trip to the DMV? It depends on where you live, I think. Oh man, not where I live. If you live like here.
2: It's entirely possible to go into the DMV and be the only person. Not, but no, I'm, I'm,
1: but I grew up in New York. You're and, in heaven, man, because you know, <laughs> here in, in the Bay Area, oh man, it's, it's unbelievably bad. Um, do you think
2: that there's a tendency among the current wave of rock bands to be particularly negative? Like I, I listen to Primus and I think this band's having a, having a lot of fun and I don't hear that in a lot of other
1: music that's uh, you know, that's around today. You know, I never really thought about it. It always seems like there's been doom and gloomers, you know? <laughs> I, can, I, can, I can't think of a time when there you know, when there hasn't been songs about death or drugs or whatever, you know? I, I didn't realize there was, was a glut of them.
2: <laughs> it doesn't feel uncomfortable or like a glut, but it just seems like most of the people who've come along, who are taking up with, who are taking up where, you know, I guess where the Yeses and King Crimson's and Rolling Stones and whatever, have uh, left off tend to be
1: more down and and more angry yeah you know i don't know if there are so many that are taking up where the yeses and the king crimson's took off that might be something that that there'll be a resurgence of you know the whole progressive rock thing i haven't really seen a lot of it yet you know it seems like we're more you know there's there's a lot of bad companies out there
2: led zeppelin
1: too you know And uh, uh, you know, I don't know. I mean, you got uh, you know you, you got guys like Nirvana who say their roots are have always been punk. You know, punk is rebellion and, and angst goes hand in hand. I would imagine. I've always been a uh, I don't want to sit here and say uh, I'm a humorous fellow, but I've always uh, you know, I, I I like to take things with a grain of salt or a grain of sugar. I would imagine. Yeah. <laughs> That's just the way I've always been, the way my family's always been, you know. Humor is a very strong element, and it's a good defense mechanism.
2: Two other questions. Do they have
1: Best Buy stores where you are? Or Best Buy
2: commercials? I don't think so. Uh, Is that like Kmart or something? It's sort of like a giant electronics store that also sells uh, CDs and things like that. Anyway, they've got these commercials that they run where basically it's like two sort of clean yuppie looking people in variety of settings either playing pool or shooting hoops or something like that and they're, they'll sit there and talk about the, the music that they like and the music that they buy and primus is one that comes up in, in one of the commercials and I, I wondered if you had ever seen that and thought anything of it but never it's, saw it's, that yeah it's just it kind of funny. the hell out of me yeah <laughs> yeah i mean you, you would think these are you know this is one of these places that that like deep discounts everything and so you'd think they'd be all after the Janet Jackson fans and all that but you know they talk about like you know these people are, are playing basketball with each other and talking about you know how they go out and they buy primus and pavement and, and things like that right. so never seen it? Never mind. No, that's, that's surprising, though. And uh, finally, for another story I'm working on, I'm asking everybody I interview, if rock music, if, if popular music were like the stock market and you could invest in some up-and-coming young band people generally don't know about right now, who do you
1: like? Who have you heard that, that you think we'll be, we'll be hearing about in the future? Well, the thing is, I mean, I am investing in in up and coming bands cause I just started a record company. But um, like Primus, I, I mean, if I was an investor I, and I wanted to make money, I wouldn't invest in anything that I like, <laughs> you know? I mean, I would have never invested in Primus if you, you know, if you wanted to make money, if you wanted to, if it was purely on moral or, or personal taste, then uh, I, I would invest in guys that I have like, Charlie Hunter Trio and, and Merv and Group Eskimo and Polka Side, some of these bands that we've been w- working with on my label. Why do you invest in those groups? I love their music. They're good people. They're uh, they're quality players, and nobody else is going to do it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, the only way that pop world is going to change is is to have have the outer fringe bubbling away you know i'm not doing anything new i mean there have been indie labels forever and look at all the sub pop bands that are huge now you know and that are influencing the mainstream you know and i don't expect to do any of that but these bands influence other bands who may be more mainstream but a little uh, obscure because they've been listening to some of these these really obscure groups you know i mean it's just like you know a lot of the groups that i've listened to throughout the years that that are pretty obscure but have never become as big as us, um, yet they've been a huge influence on us. You know? So what's your label called? It's called Prawn Song. Very similar to the Swan Song label.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I, I hope it runs better. And I, I hope you don't uh, harass musicians the way Led Zeppelin did. So.
1: Well, hopefully they won't uh, harass me. Well, you,
2: you grew up in in San Francisco area? Yeah. Yeah. So you probably know about, or you must know, or know of a Little Charlie and the, or was it what the hell are they called, something in the Goosebumps? They they did that Stairway to Gilligan's Island thing. Oh yeah. Yeah, I mean, they were from there, right? Led Zeppelin had their records pulled out of the stores because of the really? copyright problems. Oh yeah, you don't know about this? No, I didn't, I, I knew about
1: the song and I
2: just assumed that it was like a Dr. Demento type thing. you know. Yeah, no, it was a San Francisco band, I think, and I can't, I, boy,
1: why can't I remember? Little Roger and the Goosebumps, that's what it was called. Well, we'll see if old Jimmy Page comes after me for... <laughs> <laughs> you know, the song thing. Yeah,
2: <laughs> and, the, and the bands that you mentioned uh, that that are on your label, what? Just tell me a couple of them. That
1: what? Do they, what do they sound like? I mean, uh, well, Charlie Hunter Trio is straight up jazz. It's a three-piece. Well, obviously it's trio. And Charlie, <laughs> uh, he was the guitarist for Disposable Heroes of Hypothesis. but he plays an eight-string guitar and he plays all the bass parts and the guitar parts. It's, it's him a sax player and a drummer it's it's phenomenal he's one of the most amazing players well his whole band is amazing but he's one of the most amazing i hate to say guitar players because he's you know one of the most amazing stringed instrument players to come out in a long time i mean he will blow anybody's mind it's it's unreal what he does and then merv merv is was the guitarist for the for a band called the limbo maniacs he's one of the one of the best local guitarists around here He's, he's Phenomenal player, and I, I just said, "Hey, let's make a record." We, he came over to my house. And we made this thing in my basement. And basically, it's this. It, it started out as a two-week project that turned into four months, and it's this concept record about a post-apocalyptic nightclub in the future where kids shave their facial features off with cheese graters and sandpaper, <laughs> and, and uh, so <laughs> you know, it's pretty, it's pretty wild. Alphabet Soup. We're gonna put that out. It's it's like jazz, hip hop thing. Like uh-huh. Polka side. It's straight up polka. Here, hang on, hang on one second. All right. Hello. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, just spell Merv. Is it M E R V? M I R V. M
2: I R V. Okay. He's getting ready to tour with Fishbone, actually. Okay. And polka polka
1: side is that? Polka what side. Like polka with C I D E at the end of it? Uh, I would imagine. Okay. <laughs> um, they're amazing. You know, they got the accordion and the tuba player and the ocarina and guys in it's they're, they're amazing okay. and then a band called Eskimo which is this obscure sort of Zappa beef heart type thing do you envision Primus uh, eventually being on this label uh, I don't think Interscope would let us yeah. <laughs> I just released a record uh, well it's coming out April 5th uh, Sausage is the name of the group and it's myself and two of the original members of Primus and we're basically doing old Primus songs from like 10 years ago, it's, gonna, it's a prawn song, Interscope release. It's like prawn song production, Interscope release. So Interscope has first dibs on anything that I'm heavily involved in. So For, for the next like 30, 40 years, something like that? Yeah. yeah, for however long our, you know, I mean, we have a, I love those people. They're great people. Mm-hmm. Um, they're our friends and they treat us well. So as long as that relationship stays like that, I'm sure we'll, we'll work together for, for a long time. I have
2: no qualms. Uh, I appreciate all your time. Is there anything else you want me to tell people about the band or the show or anything that we haven't talked about? Nope. How's the weather back there right now? Sunny days coming. coming, uh, in, coming yeah, it's been us? pretty. Uh, it's been pretty consistent. Let's say you're here on the 26th. By then, it should be fairly. I would guess it'd probably be in the in the high 50s, uh, low 60s. You know, I'm just
1: trying to get a perspective so I'll know whether uh, whether I'm going to be cooped up in my hotel or I'm going to actually be able to go out and get some fresh air. Well,
2: I appreciate all your time, and uh, we'll see you in
1: about a week and a half, I guess. All righty. All right.
0: Thanks. Bye-bye. Hey, thanks for listening to the Tapes Archive podcast. Please remember, you can always find more information about the show and the individual episodes at our website, thetapesarchive.com. Until next time, the vault is closed.